I don't know if it's become clear to y'all at Grace Point yet, but I am a huge U2 fan. And uh, yeah, amen. Uh, by the way, our high school students, uh, middle school students, you guys can go to your environment. Thanks so much. You all have a good time. Uh, there's a, uh, one of the things Bono says a lot is that America is a great idea. Um, and I like how he phrases that. It's a great idea uh, that doesn't always get lived up to. Uh, I, I don't know about you, um, I have been just shaken like to my core seeing the news and images uh, coming out of our southern border and seeing what's happening to people, especially children who are losing their lives on a way too regular basis now. You may see the picture. I'm not going to show it just because it's too, too much. You may see the picture of the father with his daughter on his back. Um, you know, I'm a parent, and seeing that was just... When the promise of something, uh, knowing the risk involved to get there, is better than where you are because your life is at stake, you're willing to risk everything. Uh, and I just I can't get over it. I, I think that um, we are at a time... When and I don't think it's I don't think it's an overstatement to say we're creating concentration camps, which is not a new thing for us. Um, if you talk to Japanese Americans in the 1940s, um, they would know about that. And just as a general idea, if you were to talk to African American people who were still today, <laughs> but but in the past, subject to Jim Crow laws, subject to segregation, subject to slavery, if you were to talk to our indigenous brothers and sisters who were going about their lives and then people showed up and took their land, um, they would have a far different experience of what America means. I think America's done a lot of great things in the world. I'm really, really grateful to live here. And I'm grateful that we have a voice. But part of having a voice is using it for the people who don't have one. Um, And I think right now, if we're asleep at the wheel and and we don't say something about the policies our government is enacting, um, if we don't say something about the fact that there are hundreds and hundreds of people crammed into a cell that holds maybe 150 uncomfortably, that people are standing up for maybe days, if not weeks at a time, not being given basic sanitation. We should all be cranked up about this. Um, And so I I think that the most Christian thing to do in this moment is to bug your senator, to bug your congressperson, and to demand action to demand justice, and to demand that something be done because we should be better than this. Are you with me? Yeah. We should be better. And I know there's always the, the, well, you shouldn't get political at church. Hashtag false. Um, And here's, so next month, next week, we're starting a new series called Unconventional Wisdom. And one of the weeks of that series, we're going to look at that very phrase, like, you shouldn't mix politics and religion. Um, because just, just a spoiler alert, I don't think you can help it if you're paying attention to either. Um, so we're going to dive into that in uh, a few weeks. Uh, next week we'll start. Next week is going to be just sort of an introduction to the series. Um, and we're going to talk about all kinds of things. God helps those who help themselves. Like last week I said the Bible clearly says, and everybody laughed. Um, uh, this idea about religion and politics. We're going to dive into a lot of this stuff and just just try to figure out what is the unconventional wisdom our tradition brings to us and asks us to, to enter into and think about. So we're going to do that. But today, uh, we're going to talk about baptism. Last week, we talked about Eucharist or communion. If you missed that, you can check, you can check that out on podcast, on Facebook, wherever you check things out at. Um, and it may be helpful to, because I'm not going to repeat some things I'm, I'm going to say today that may 
apply to both. Um, today we're going to talk about baptism. And I first wanted to talk about the word sacrament. How many of you have heard the word sacrament before? Um, yeah, the word sacrament basically just means a thin place. It, it means uh, a place where the, the in, in this thinking, the place where the, the um, divine, the holy meets the everyday life. Uh, now, I think that happens to just be everywhere, not just one place and not just one ritual. I love this quote by Frederick Beekner, a uh, brilliant writer. A sacrament is when something holy happens. It is transparent time, time which you can see through to something deep inside time. Needless to say, church isn't the only place where the holy happens. Sacramental moments can occur at any moment, any place, and to anybody. Watching something get born, a high school graduation, I've never experienced that personally, being a sacramental location, um, because they usually bring you in and turn the air off, and they're like, now, wait here for four hours while we graduate people. Um, So maybe not that one, but somebody coming to see you when you're sick, a meal with people you love, looking into a stranger's eyes and finding out he's not a stranger. If we weren't blind as bats, we might see that life itself is sacramental. So when we talk about baptism and Eucharist as a sacrament, we're not talking about a thing that gets put over here and is different than the rest of all of life. If you're open to it, can be a sacrament. All of life can be a place where we are in tune and aware of the sacred. Are you with me? So when we talk about baptism, this is another place. This is a place that has meant a lot to people for a long time, a place of perhaps creating a marker and looking back and remembering. Yes. Yeah. That's how I feel at high school graduations. Shockingly. Um, So first, a little bit about the language. The word baptism that we have in the Bible, it's from the Greek word baptizo. And it really just means to dip, immerse, or submerge. And I know what you're thinking. If you grew up Baptist, you're like, I knew we were right. (laughs) Doesn't say sprinkle. Um, So, yeah, yeah, we'll just let that go. Um, So a few questions that I've been thinking about when it comes to baptism, like, is is baptism necessary? Um, For lots of Christians, I mean, there are traditions that believe if you are not baptized, the moment you make some sort of decision, then you are in trouble. Is baptism necessary, though? Now, today, uh, for progressive Christians, is baptism a necessary thing? Um, Does it matter how it's done? Like, does it count if you got sprinkled? Um, Does it count if you were at somebody's house in the swimming pool and they baptized you three or four times? Like, like, does that matter? Does it matter who does it? Does it have to be an official uh, recognized clergy person? Does it matter when it happens, whether you're a a newborn baby or whether you're a a fully grown adult? And then maybe the most important question is, does it make sense today? Is it a thing that we still should do or not even, I don't like should. Is it a thing we still, that still makes sense for us to do um, as we live into the 21st century. So I want to do first, before I talk about that, I'm going to try to respond to that. But first, I think it's important to have some context. Um, I did not know, growing up, I, I really believed that Jesus spoke King James English. Not because anybody told me that, but because it was like just what was presented, right? That this is just how it works. And so when I discovered that there was a context that the people who wrote the Bible, it didn't just fall out of the sky with gilded edges and my name on it in King James English, that it was actually born from experience of real human beings in a real place and a real time. That was a game changer for me. So I think it's important to understand why we do things to begin with. Like, why did we ever do baptism? And you 
will be interested to find out, Christians did not invent baptism. How many of you knew that? How many of you thought like Jesus was just like, we need a ritual? <laughs> Dunk that person, let's see how it takes, right? Like that's not how it happened, right? It, it began as a Jewish ritual. It was a ritual washing uh, practice. Uh, the word in Hebrew for this practice was tevelah. Let me hear you say tevelah. And it just means ritual immersion, and it would happen in a mikvah. Let me hear you say mikvah. Look at you guys speaking in tongues and everything. My goodness. A mikvah, which was essentially what we would, it was a ritual bath, we would call it a baptistry. Right? And I have a picture of a mikvah that was discovered in, around the area that John the Baptist would have been working in. And as you can see, it's like a cave that's got steps going down, and there's a tub down there. That, not a tub, a, a, a hewn-out space. And what's really fascinating is that for a mikvah to really be truly a mikvah, it had to have a connection to some sort of what they called living water, which meant a fresh water source so that the water wouldn't stagnate because this is ultimately about purity, right? You can't become pure in stagnant water. And so it had to always be moving. And when a Jewish person would enter into a ritual bath like this, they would enter into it completely naked, can you imagine? Like, what would you do if you were to church? Like, it's time for baptism, and here's just a bunch of naked people. Like, you would not know. But this is how you would do it, because it was about purity. You would enter into it, and you would submerge yourself three times. Uh, and then you would come out, and you would be pure. Now, why would somebody do this? One is because uh, of purity issues. If you wanted to worship God at the temple, if you wanted to do holy things, and you would come in contact with things that your tradition says makes you unholy, then what do you do? You go through a purity ritual. This would happen for lots of reasons. I mean, basic, not, not like sinful reasons. We, we think about sin when we think about purity. Uh, it's, it's not the case. It would be like if you came in contact with a dead body, you would be impure, and this would be a ritual. Um, if you'd given birth to a child, you would be impure, and this would be a ritual. Um, there are all sorts of things that would qualify. You would do it for that, to prepare yourself for worship, to prepare yourself to be a part of the holy and you would also do it for conversion. So Jewish people were actually baptizing people for conversion way before Christians ever thought of it. Right? It actually enters into our tradition from Judaism. From, because that's where we come from. The Christian tradition was born out of Judaism. And so I, I want to look at a story, uh, just a few verses from the life of somebody we all probably know. How many of you have heard of John the Baptist? His lesser-known counterpart was Bob the Presbyterian. <laughs> he gained no traction, none, lost to history. So in the story of John the Baptist and, and Luke, this is how Luke tells the story. In the 15th year, and what's interesting is he grounds the story. This is the story of John the Baptist is kick-starting the Jesus story, and he grounds it in who is in charge of the empire at the time. And this is about more than dating something. This is, gives us a window into what baptism might actually be about. In the 15th year of the rule of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, and Herod was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Iturea, and Trachonitis, which you can get penicillin for now, and Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling to, for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. He grounds it in, this is who's in charge of the world. And at this time, a guy named John is hanging out in the wilderness, 
and the word of God comes to him. Now, the word of God isn't contained in a book. In the Hebrew scriptures, when a prophet begins a ministry, it always begins with the word of God coming to them and sort of filling them up with passion and zeal and giving them a word to speak to those in power. It's interesting that prophets never were to go to the people who were being oppressed and say, you should be better at being oppressed. It was always to go to the people in power and say, you are drunk with power and God isn't okay with that. Right? It's, it's interesting. So John's out in the wilderness. He has this passion, this zeal, this word to share. And people start coming to John to be ritually immersed in the Jordan River. Now, this is the area. I've got a picture. This is around the area in uh, Israel where John would have been working. Um, I doubt there was a pavilion there in the first century. Um, <laughs> maybe. Um, but this is where John would have been doing his work of baptism. Now, here's what's interesting. John is the son of Zechariah, who Luke tells us is a priest. In the ancient world, the way you got your vocation in the world was basically what your father did. Because where your father got his vocation was where his father, and this is a patriarchal society, right? And the, where, his, where your grandfather got his vocation was from his father. And, and it goes, so you're expected to follow in the family business. What is John not doing? John isn't a priest, because priests work in temples. John isn't a priest. John is in the anti-temple. He's out in the wilderness where everything is wild and untamed, and he's baptizing not in a mikvah, but in the river. What might this say? And not just any river, by the way, the Jordan River. The Jordan River is where the people crossed after their liberation from slavery and wandering in the wilderness. They crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. John is out in the desert, not at the temple. He's doing temple things in the desert, in a river that isn't holy or sacred, except for it being part of their family story. But it's not where you do baptism. It's not where you do tevilah. And he's calling people, change your hearts, change your lives, and come experience this. I think part of what John's doing there is he's enacting a new exodus, right? The exodus story was about the people being brought through water and liberated. And John's saying, you have been imprisoned. You are being oppressed. We need a new exodus. We need new liberation. We need a new thing to happen. And it was John who then, through Jesus and his disciples, began sort of what we would call today this, this practice that Christians engage in. It began as an anti-temple, an anti-hierarchy, an anti-closed club. Only a few people can be a part of this. And it was about something larger. It was about everybody having a change of heart. About everybody having a change of life, a transformation of who they were. So in thinking about that, I want to talk to you about what I think baptism offers us today. And I think the first is going to seem really boring and totally not what it should be, but I really believe this is true. I think baptism is a beautiful rite of passage. It's a rite of passage. This is a thing that meant a lot to human beings at one point in time, and, and we still find other ways to do it, even though we don't do it the way we used to. But I think baptism is a way of marking, uh, perhaps for some people, a, a movement into adulthood, into participation, into, into whatever. Three years ago, I walked into my office on a Wednesday night, and I found a post-it note on my desk, and I've got a picture of it here. Um, it said baptize, uh, because that's how you spell baptize. It was adorable. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even correct him. I hope he spells it that way when he's 35. Um, 
baptize please Cohen. That's our oldest. He left this note on my desk and I was like, why would he leave this note? And some, some friends in the children's that he'd grown up with were asking to be baptized and had been. And so he said, I, I want to be baptized. And so I sat down with him and I said, why do you want to be baptized? He's like, well, we go to church. It seems like the next thing to do. And I was like, I don't know. Let me think about this. And so I, we went home and I, I talked to his mom and we were like, is he, is he doing it because everybody else is blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, you know what? The first thing, if we don't let him do this, the first thing he's going to associate with God is no. And that is a terrible way to start your life. Uh, many of us started our lives that way. <laughs> and we're still dealing with the process. And so he wasn't afraid. Uh, he didn't learn about hell, that somebody believed in it until he went to school and somebody told him and he thought it was the weirdest thing he'd ever heard. Um, there was no fear there. There was no, he wanted to be baptized because we're part of a community and that's what you do in the community. It was a rite of passage for him. And so I, I got to baptize him and I think I ended up wetter than him because I was crying a lot. Um, and it was really a beautiful moment. And I think those moments matter. I think they do. I think a rite of passage, I mean, if you were to ask him, well, what is your doctrinal position on blah, blah, blah? He would have said, what are you talking about? And that's okay. All right, he, he had an innocence about him and he wanted to participate in this, this part of the community life. And I thought it was beautiful. And we bought him a Bible for his baptism, a kid's Bible. And one of the things I wrote in it is like, this is an important step for you, but it is just a step. And you will come back to this moment over and over in your life because you'll want to remember. And then you'll move forward and you'll grow in ways you can't imagine. And I believe that's true. So I believe baptism as a rite of passage is a really valid way to approach it. I don't think it's our only way. I think in the first century, baptism was about switching your allegiance. It was about switching allegiance. And it's interesting that Luke begins by ticking off all these Roman emperors and Roman kings and Roman leaders. For the first Christians, baptism was something that would get you on the death penalty list. Baptism, because in baptism, you are essentially giving your allegiance to another kingdom. Right, the, the one Jesus talked about, the kingdom of God, which isn't somewhere else, it's right here, it's infiltrating, it's everywhere, it's around. And it is essentially, when you think kingdom of God, what would the world be like if God had complete charge of everything? What would the world be like? How, how would we treat one another? How would we live? What would our values be? And when you were engaged in baptism in the first century, you were renouncing the kingdom of Rome and you were celebrating birth into the kingdom of God. Not because it wasn't there before, but because you're now having eyes to see it. Baptism was about switching allegiance. It was only until the third century when the Roman Empire co-opted Christianity and the Christian leadership was willing to let it happen that somehow empire and Christianity got conflated together. And friends, it is at an all-time high. We were talking to, uh, at a group recently. Did you know there's like a founding father's patriotic study Bible? And here's the thing, I, I just feel like we have to say this. July 4th is not a Christian holiday. Uh, it's not. Um, and I, I, I'm really grateful for where we live. I really am. Uh, but I think we have to recognize that our message, if it does not cut against the values of empire, we're not doing something right. If our values and the empire's values line up on how we should treat detained immigrants... And asylum seekers, something may be off there. 
right? Because empire will always value empire first. Now put it on stuff, empire first. Now I want you to believe that empire's first. And yet in the kingdom of God, we have a very different value system. And if kingdom doesn't work for you because you don't ride around on a horse all day, um, then maybe think about it like this, the commonwealth of God. Um, I've heard Brian McLaren use the term the kingdom of God. Like it's a web of relationship. In this way of life, our values are compassion, justice, not retributive justice where we make people pay, but restorative justice, healing justice, transformation. We value those things. And at any point where we can partner in some way to make good things happen in the world, okay. But when we have to sell out our value system for political power and clout, we would be better just to say, no thank you, we're going to go over here. And we're going to live a life of resistance that challenges the values of empire. The people you kick out, we'll, we'll take in. Right? And, and so if you think about baptism as an exodus from empire, right? In the exodus story, they go through the water into freedom. In baptism, we're saying, we're not going to play by empire's rules anymore. We're going to do it differently. We're going to live differently. There's actually a, a writer who's written a couple of really helpful books on this. His name is R. Allen Street, Street with an extra T on the end, which I always thought was a typo, but that's how he spells his name. Um, the first one is about the Eucharist, and it's called Subversive Meals, an Analysis of the Lord's Supper under Roman domination during the first century. If you can say the whole subtitle in one breath, you win, right? Um, and then you can tell he got tired because the next one is just a few words. Uh, Caesar and the Sacrament, A Rite of Resistance, and it's about baptism. So he wrote these two books. One's about the Eucharist uh, and its anti-imperial overtones and undertones, and one is about baptism and how baptism worked to separate you from empires. So I, I recommend those. But I think it's about switching allegiance. It's about saying, my allegiance used to be over here, my values were over here, and now I'm, I'm seeing the world differently, and I'm a part of this thing that is actively resisting the domination system and is actively trying to set oppressed people free. That is the Jesus story. Uh, next, I, I think baptism, and this is sort of maybe a way people have always thought about it, but I think it's about enacting participation in the Jesus story. Right? The Jesus story... Um, is a story of dying and rising, a story of uh, what happens when the empire gets what they want and then God says, no way, right? That's resurrection. The empire says no and God says yes. Notice this from Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 12. You were buried with Jesus through baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism is a way of, of affiliating yourself like this is the story that gives my life meaning. It's not that there aren't other stories that are important and true. It's that this is my story. And this is the story. This is the language I learned to speak. This is the tradition I grew up in. This is when I think of God, I think of Jesus. That's, that's my language for God. And so there's something powerful about enacting that symbol of being buried with Christ and being raised with Christ. And I think that last part is really important. Resurrection isn't something that happens to you when you die. Resurrection is something that happens to you while you're already alive. On Easter, if you were here, we talked about how that there in the Eastern church, there had always been a universal resurrection tradition where Jesus, that all the art was Jesus coming out of the tomb, holding the hands of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that that was saying something about the entire human race. You are risen. We may not have eyes to see it. We may not have hearts open to it. 
but it is a truth that is already yours and accessible right here and right now. To talk about resurrection in the Christian tradition isn't to talk about pie in the sky. It isn't to say, gosh, I just can't wait to get out of this. I haven't even heard this. I just can't wait to get out of this old world. It's getting worse and worse. I'm enjoying myself mostly. Like, I don't want to leave here. There's stuff that needs to be done here. There's work to do here. We're not done. Why would we want to leave? No, no, we want to experience resurrection here and now. And I think baptism is a way of saying, I want, I'm participating in this Jesus story in some way. Number four, baptism is about challenging the status quo. It is about challenging the status quo. There is a wonderful story in the book of Acts about an early Christian named Philip. And Philip was going around introducing people to the, the gospel, which was the good news of the kingdom of God, that it's right here and it's available and it's accessible to everyone. And then Philip is walking down the road from Jerusalem and he sees over here a man in a chariot reading a scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Anybody know this story? And Philip walks alongside and eavesdrops him and the man's reading it and Philip strikes up a conversation and he ends up telling him the story of Jesus that has turned Philip's life around, this story of, of dying and being raised, this story of this new thing that's happening in the world and if we open ourselves to it, anything's possible. And the uh, person who's on the, the stagecoach, I don't know, the chariot, uh, is an African eunuch. And the word eunuch can mean lots of things, but essentially it's a sexual minority. And because of his status as a sexual minority, he would he'd be coming back from the temple in Jerusalem where he was not allowed to enter. Because there was only so far, does this sound familiar? There was only so far you could go. There's only so much welcome. Everybody's welcome, but only to here. And notice what happens on this journey home. It's absolutely beautiful. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water. What would keep me from being baptized? Do you, do you get the question there? The what would keep him has nothing to do with the availability of water. This is a question of, is this Jesus tradition open to me? Really? Not, is this Jesus tradition willing to take my money and count me as a number, but not really let me have any belonging or connection or part of it? No, no. There's water over there, Philip. What would keep me from being baptized? This is the equivalent of writing baptized please on a post-it note. And what does Philip say? He ordered that the carriage halt, both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. You know what he didn't do? He didn't call the home office. Hey, I got a eunuch here who's looking for baptism. What's our policy? Philip says, I couldn't care less what the policy is. We have a human being here wanting to belong. Let's, what, why are we standing here talking about it? Let's get in the water. Baptism in its origins was a, essentially saying no thank you to the status quo. It was a call to deeper more open, more inclusive community. I love this from Jack Rogers. He says, the first Gentile convert, the first non-Jewish convert to Christianity is from a sexual minority and a different race, ethnicity, and nationality. And my, didn't we lose the plot after that? My goodness, have we lost the plot. Baptism was a resistance to the status quo. I mean, this is Paul's message, right? Even in Galatians, in, in Christ Jesus, there is no male or female. 
There is no slave or free. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no gay or straight. Right? I think we've got to give Paul some latitude. If he lived today, I do believe he would write those words. I do believe he would write those words. And to be baptized as a part of a community is to say, ha, you're not going to keep us out. You're not going to tell us how to order our life together. In this community, just like at the Lord's Supper, in this community, everybody's on equal footing. In this community, there is no barrier to how far somebody can participate. It is open and it is... When we say you're welcome here, we don't just mean you can show up here. We mean every part of you is included in this community. And that's what baptism originally meant. I'm going to leave you with this one. Baptism was and is, I believe, a celebration of transformation. I mean, that's the image, right? Buried and raised, dying and living. The old being washed and the new being brought forth. I've been in a lot of different baptistry situations. The first baptism I did in uh, Morgantown was in the Green River, which is green. Uncomfortable, something brushed my leg, wasn't the Holy Spirit. Like I knew... (laughs) We're in trouble here. I I have participated in baptisms in all sorts of different situations. I have dunked and I have sprinkled. I've I've experienced it in every way. And every time it happens, there's actually this one time, I just have to tell a story. There's this one time I go through this checklist with people, like just keep your feet on the bottom of the tub, hold my arm, and when I take you under, just bend your legs and lean back and then I'll bring you back up, no big deal. So I, I go through this with this gentleman and I get him in the baptistry, and I take him under, and did he listen to me? No. His feet are up here. And suddenly, like, the only way is, like, to flip him over and then get him back out. And I always tell people before we start, I've never lost anybody, but I came close, because that guy almost didn't make it, right? I mean, baptism's a lot. I've done it. I've experienced it. If it could go wrong, it went wrong. And yet, every time, even in the times where it didn't go exactly perfectly, there's something beautiful about bringing somebody up out of that water and looking at their face as they brush the water away, there is a joy. What is that joy? That joy is about belonging. That joy is about celebration, celebrating a milestone in their life and experience, a marker of transformation, a marker of where they've been, where they are, and with with the community and God's help, where they're going to go. So is baptism, does it make sense? Maybe not for everybody. There may be some people who are like, that's just not for me. Can I still be a part of a Christian community? Absolutely. And we're not going to like mist you with a fan on a hot day and count it. Like if that's not your thing, it's not your thing. If it is your thing, it's something you want to do and talk about, we'd love for you to tell us about that. If it's something you'd like to participate, we'd love to have a gathering where those who want to participate can participate. Is it essential? I I don't think it's essential. Is it beautiful and valid and meaningful? It is for me. It is for me. And I think it could be for lots of us if we're open to what it really means. This is not something we do to count. Oh, we got another baptism. Let's publish the numbers. No, no. This is about a human being being embraced, experiencing belonging, and celebrating newness. Are you with me? Let's, let's pray, shall we?
God, source, ground of our being and existence. We come today um, acknowledging that the world is full of so much beauty and so much pain. But there are human beings right now who are experiencing pain because of our policies as a country. And, and may this week where we celebrate and mark um, independence, may this be a time for all of us to take stock of what are we doing in this world as a country. And as a community, may we commit ourselves in whatever ways we can to making a difference, to using our voice and our resources to help those without a voice and resources. We're grateful for new life, for new creation that is springing up in the middle of the old. We're grateful for hope. We're grateful that as followers of Jesus, whatever language we want to use around that, as people inspired by the Jesus story, that we have been called into a story that articulates a different vision for the world. A story that has different values than the values of empire. Give us the courage to speak the truth when our voice shakes. And may we know that we are never closer to the reality that the word God points to than when we are walking alongside hand in hand with the oppressed. May all your kids enter into freedom and know their belovedness. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.